We've been talking the last couple of weeks about the cross of Christ and going through some of the things that Jesus' death and his resurrection have done for us and the work that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Today we're talking about the removed wrath. And uh, probably I should have phrased that a better way, but the idea that because of the cross of Jesus Christ and because of what Jesus has done and our faith in him, the wrath of God has been removed from us. So here's what we have on tap today. Our theology is this. Our theology is Jesus removes God's wrath. That's the theology. Okay. The application is we are free from condemnation and wrath by faith in Jesus. So the thing that sets us free from the, the wrath and the condemnation of God is our faith in Christ. And then our prayer, again, is a prayer of praise, a prayer of thanksgiving, where we say, God, we praise you for your love, which rescues us and makes us holy. In terms of talking about the removed wrath or God saving us or Jesus saving us from the wrath of God through what he accomplished on the cross and his resurrection, it's interesting because in times like this, inevitably, uh, and and maybe, I don't know, I've, I'm kind of done with all the articles and all the posts and stuff. I haven't been reading them as much the last week and a half. But a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that I saw is that there were different religious leaders uh, from Christianity, uh, from Islam, from a couple of other organizations that were saying that the coronavirus is God's wrath on people. And that is just dumb. Um, I'm just going to say that now that that's just stupid. The next time there's a tornado, somebody will say that it's God's wrath. The next time there's a hurricane, somebody will say that's God's wrath. All of those are, are terrible, terrible uh, biblical understanding. It's, it's not true, okay? So let me just really quickly explain to you that, yes, in the Old Testament, uh, I think most famously people think of Sodom and Gomorrah from Genesis 18 and 19. This is not a Sodom and Gomorrah situation, right? And so God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed him. And there are places in the Bible where we see that God pours out his wrath on people. But there's this interesting text, and we're going to talk about this on the Wednesday night Zoom meeting. So if you want to join us for our Wednesday night Zoom Bible study, be sure you reach out to me. I'll give you the password, and we can talk about it Wednesday night at 6. But there's this interesting text in Romans 9, and what it says is that what if God, though willing to demonstrate his wrath to those who deserve his wrath, instead withheld his wrath for the day of wrath or withheld his wrath so that he could show more grace now. So while in the Old Testament there were places where God poured out his wrath, what it's clear now in the scripture is that God is withholding his wrath now for what the Bible calls the day of wrath, that there will be a day that God kind of levels the playing field and brings all accounts into, you know, to their place where they're due. And so uh, Zechariah, there's short, it's 14 chapters, but it's a quick read. Zechariah in the last like three chapters of Zechariah says on that day, on that day, on that day, over and over and over again, speaking of the coming judgment of God, speaking of the coming wrath of God. And so one of the things that's really interesting for us as the believer is that when we talk about Jesus saving us from the wrath of God, it's not saving us from a flood or a hurricane or a, a coronavirus. It's not that. It's that Jesus and, and our faith in him, what Jesus Jesus has accomplished on the cross is saving us from the day of wrath, that on the day that God pours out his wrath, you and I who have put faith in Jesus will not be under God's wrath and will not be under God's condemnation. So there is, uh, biblically, there is a day of wrath that the Bible talks about that is coming for those who do not believe. And so I want to look at a couple of texts, and then we're going to talk about just some biblical examples that make this really, hopefully, plain for us, okay? And so here we go. Um, 
1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, and I don't expect you, I've got more verses today, and so I don't expect you to go to all these with us. And so if you're a note taker, jot them down, you can look at them later because we're going to be done in like half an hour, right? And so look at these in a little bit. But 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 says this, you have turned to God from idols. This isn't to us, this is the, Thessalon- uh, the Thessalonican church. They had, they had been worshiping idols and false gods. He says to them, you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what I want to do for a moment is just kind of establish this idea that what Jesus has saved us from, he saved us, yes, uh, he's washed away our sins. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 in Psalm, it talks about him bearing our sins and bearing our transgressions. Yes, he's done that. Yes, through his resurrection, we have the promise of resurrected life, but he's also saved us from the day of wrath, the day of judgment, this thing that is yet to come. Uh, Look at Matthew 3. Well, you don't have to look at it, but I noticed this this week. So if you're if you're somebody who I don't know numbers stick in my head, and so this will always be in my head now. So Matthew three seven and Luke three seven, same exact story, same verse. Matthew three seven, Luke three seven. Uh, John the Baptist is preaching, and he is preaching a repentance and putting faith in the coming Savior. So this is before Jesus began his public ministry, and he's preaching to the people, and he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the scribes and the Pharisees, who are notoriously the bad guys, and, uh, and they show up, and John the Baptist says something to them. He goes, hey, you brood of vipers, which is, I just, I don't know. I love the Bible. I love how they... Uh, People just didn't hold any punches, right? And so so John the Baptist sees these religious hypocrites showing up, these people who really don't have an affection for God showing up. And he goes, hey, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And so here these these, uh, Pharisees are showing up to hear this message of repentance, ultimately really just to to criticize John. And, And he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is coming? Uh, in Romans 5, 9, it says this, therefore, well, this is Romans 5, 9 and 10. Therefore, since we have now been justified by the blood of Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's a coming wrath. And he says in the next verse, if while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God uh, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And then one of the things that I want to remind us is that the, the Bible teaches, we see this in John 3.36, it says that, that those who have put faith in Jesus, that they have received eternal life. In fact, John 17 says that this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And he says that, that the, they have been rescued from the wrath of God. Okay, But those who do not believe in Jesus, those who, who do not put faith in Christ, are still under the wrath of God. Under the wrath of God, not necessarily being what we would call... Um, like a visible judgment, you know, they're not under a visible judgment. Please, please, like anytime you hear a Christian say to somebody uh, or a so-called Christian, I have a, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Anytime you hear somebody who calls himself a believer say of somebody else, well, they're sick because they're under God's judgment or uh, they're, uh, this, their house burned down because they're under God's judgment. Man, like just, my instinct is to just call all of that hogwash. It just, it, it's foolish. It's, 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 uh, I don't know, it's narrow-minded, it's legalistic, it is not a picture of Jesus and the cross and grace, and it's not a picture of what Romans talks about, that God is 
is kind of withholding his judgment for a time until the day of wrath. And so here's what I want us to think about. I want us to think for a little bit about Genesis chapter 6, go in our minds all the way back to Genesis 6, where God says to Noah, he says, I need you to build an ark, and I want you to build this ark, and I want you to uh, have it for the salvation of you and your household. So there was Noah and Mrs. Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons, and their three wives. We don't know any of the wives' names in this story. And so there were eight people, the Bible says, who were going, going to enter into the ark, and then this flood was going to come. And uh, it was going to wipe out everybody. It was going to wipe out humankind. And the day wasn't really set. There wasn't a day. It was just that, hey, it's going to come. In fact, the day was kind of set in that God had said, I'm going to put up with people for another 120 years, and then it's done. So it was a little more set, I suppose, than that. There was a prophet named Enoch who had a son named Methuselah. We can talk about this more on Wednesday night, too. But Methuselah means he dies, it happens. And in the year that Methuselah dies, the flood came and wiped out everybody. And so there was an appointed time for this judgment to come. And Noah and his family all get on the ark. And then the Bible says that God seals them in the ark. God's the one who shuts the door of the ark, seals them in. And then it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And the water is 27 feet higher than the tallest mountain. And all the people and all the animals on the earth die and Noah and his family are saved. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. We don't know exactly how long it took him to build the ark, 30 years, 60 years, maybe the full 120, but probably not. I can talk more about that on Wednesday too. But anyway, Noah builds this ark for decades with his sons, and then the judgment comes. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 11 of Noah. It says that Noah and his family entered into the ark and that they were heirs of righteousness, which comes through faith. And the rest of the world was condemned. So, so the rest of the world was under judgment the moment that Noah began to build the ark. But the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. It is at least implied, if, if not if not a stronger statement than that, it is at least implied that there was an opportunity in this 120 years for people to repent, and yet they didn't. There was a time set that God was going to have his judgment come on the earth, and those who had entered into the ark, those who had entered into the salvation that God had provided, uh, he had warned them about the coming judgment. Those who had entered into that were saved, and then the rest fell under the wrath of God on that day. A better picture even than the ark is the Passover. And so in Exodus chapter 12, we have the people of God who have been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. They're going to they're gonna leave after 430 years of slavery. They're going to leave on that exact day. And the Bible tells us that on uh, that Moses is speaking to the people. They've been crying out to God for deliverance from slavery. And God says to the people, he says this through Moses, he tells the people this. He says, consider this the first day of your month. And on the 10th day of this month, bring a lamb into your house. Keep it in your house for four, for four days. And on the 14th day of the month, slaughter the lamb. Take some of its blood, put it in a bowl, and then paint the door frames of your home. And then he says this, about midnight on the 14th day, he, God says, I'm going to come through the land and I'm going to strike down the firstborn, the firstborn of every household, the firstborn of every stall, the firstborn of every animal. I'm going to strike down the firstborn. And the only thing that will protect you is the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so the situation here is, again, there was appointed a day of judgment, a day of wrath. It had been appointed by God. In this case, it was appointed 
for two weeks from the, the time he first mentions it to him. So he says, in two weeks, this is going to happen. And then what God does is he provides a means for salvation for those who would put their faith and their confidence in God. And he says, here's the way to be saved. You take the lamb of sacrifice, you bring it into your house, keep it in your house for four days, slaughter it. And there were a whole bunch of other rules, which we won't go into now, but Basically, paint the, the doorframe of your house. And then he says, whenever I come through the land at midnight, whenever I see the blood on the door, okay, whenever I see the blood on the door, then, then I'll know and I'll pass over you, which is why it was called Passover. I'll pass over you and my judgment won't fall on you. And so God had provided a way, a way for the people to be saved. He appointed a day of judgment and he provided a way for people to be spared the day of judgment. One more in the book of Judges, and we've talked about this a little bit, I think, in a few weeks back, but maybe not. Maybe it's just been in my head. But uh, in Judges chapter 2, there's this story of Rahab in the city of Jericho. And Rahab is a prostitute which, from our cultural perspective, probably doesn't feel very noble. But maybe in her culture, this pagan culture, she was a temple prostitute. Maybe she was highly venerated. We don't know. But uh, What I'm saying is I used to throw her under the bus because she was a prostitute. What we need to do is recognize that she's included in the lineage of Christ and that she has incredible faith. So whether she's a prostitute or not, whether it's venerable or not, let us hold to the fact that she's included in the lineage of Christ and that she was an impeccable woman of faith. And so Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. It's going to be the first city they attack. And, and he says to these two spies, they go in and they say to the woman, hey, we're going to come in. We're going to destroy this city. And she does them a favor. Long story short, they say to her, look, we won't destroy you or your household when we come and destroy the city. If you do one thing, if you put the scarlet cord and you hang it in your window so that when we come back into the city, we'll see the scarlet cord and anyone who's in your house will be spared. So I want you to think about this. Joshua and the army have appointed a day for judgment, a day when they would come and they would destroy the city of Jericho. And they had also appointed uh, a means for salvation for Rahab and not just for Rahab, but for anyone who would be bold enough to enter into her house and stay in her house and, and be under the protection of that scarlet cord. And here's what's, what's really beautiful. Well, we'll say that for Wednesday too. There's a lot that's really awesome and beautiful about this story of Joshua. Joshua has the exact same name as Jesus. Anyway, not, we don't have time. I get excited about it. I really want to tell you about it. Tune in Wednesday. We'll talk more about it. And so, so here are three just very quick examples, three very quick examples, Noah and the ark, and then the people of God in Egypt with the Passover, and then Rahab and her household with the scarlet cord, Each time we see that there is a day of judgment appointed, and in each case we see that there is uh, salvation provided, and that those who entered into the salvation that was provided didn't face the judgment, okay? So the end of each story, right, is that the the end of the story in, in the flood is that everybody died but the eight. The end of the story in Exodus 12 with the Passover is that somebody, the Bible says that there wasn't a single house in Egypt from the Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the guy who was in prison. There wasn't a single house in Egypt where someone hadn't died. In other words, no one in Egypt believed the message of Moses except for the people of God and only they were spared. They weren't spared because they were Jews. They were spared because they entered into the salvation that God had provided. They weren't spared because they were 
descendants of Abraham. They were spared. Listen, here's what the Bible teaches. It says that when, when the, the Israelites left Egypt, a mixed multitude went up with them. There were other people who believed the message of Moses, and they, they entered into the salvation, and they were spared. Rahab and her entire household were saved. And I don't know what that looked like for the few days after those people left. I don't know what Rahab did or what she said to bring people into her household, but she brought people into her household such that when Joshua and the army came into the city and the entire city was destroyed, Rahab and her people under the cover of the scarlet cord weren't destroyed. And that's what it means when we talk about Jesus has removed the wrath of God from us, that Jesus has saved us from the wrath of God, is that God has appointed already before before. Before creation had begun, God had already appointed a day of judgment. On that day, Zechariah calls it. On that day, Revelation calls it the day of judgment. Uh, Romans talks about it. And the Bible teaches that on that day, there is a day of judgment appointed by God. And while you and I don't know what it is, it is firmly fixed in the calendar of heaven. But God, in his great grace and in his great mercy, has, as he has done every time in the Bible, provided a way of salvation. And this time, this salvation is forever. It's Jesus Christ. And God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, not only so that we could live and be holy and be righteous and have eternal life, but so that we would be spared and and so that the wrath of God would be removed from us. So when we talk about the day of judgment, when we talk about the fact that there is a, a day of coming wrath, this is not something that's uh, just new to the New Testament. This isn't something like an idea that's meant to be scary. It's, it's actually meant to... God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can look at who God is. And, and, and keep in mind, please, that when, when Peter, when Paul, when these guys, uh, James and John and Andrew, when these guys were preaching Jesus, when we're reading the book of Acts and these guys are going out and they're preaching about Jesus, keep in mind that what they're preaching is the Old Testament. And that because they're preaching the Old Testament so well, people are coming to put their faith in Jesus. And so what the Old Testament shows us Okay, I get it. Uh, Jesus has come. He's died. He's been raised from the dead. Our tendency is to want to hang out in the New Testament. But the Old Testament is, is the foundation for the New Testament. And it helps us to better understand the New Testament. And so what we can do is we can say, look at this history of God who would appoint days of judgment for different situations and different things. And then what God would do is he would appoint a means of salvation. And that is, that is still true today that God has appointed a day of judgment, but he has also appointed a means for salvation. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Hear that this way. God so loved the world that even though he had appointed a day for perishing, he provided a way out of perishing through his son, Jesus Christ, so that those who put faith in Jesus could enter into eternal life. There is an escape from wrath. There is an escape from perishing. There is an escape from judgment. There is an escape from condemnation, and his name is Jesus. Okay? Keep that in mind. That God who is faithful, people people say all the time that, like, why would God appoint a day of judgment, or why would God pour out his wrath? Uh, never has God appointed his wrath without also appointing salvation. Never. Okay? Not once. In every case, throughout Golly, we could, we could spend all day here going through the, the Bible. Man, I want to so badly. We could spend we could go case after case where God has appointed a judgment but also provided a way of escape. Every single time. 
there's a lot that I want to say. I can't. We don't have time. Now, in Romans chapter 2, I'm going to go there. I meant to open up to it already. But in Romans chapter 2, let me read this text to you here. I, I got to tell you, like, um, I get excited about the things of God. I get excited about the scripture. I get excited about who Jesus is. I hope that you do too. If you're not there yet, let's keep talking, all right? Let's form a dialogue. Just because we have to have social distancing doesn't mean we can't like FaceTime or talk or text or whatever we want to do. Like, I don't know. Anyway, probably text, right? No one likes their phone to ring anymore. And so listen to this. This is Romans chapter two. I'm going to go ahead and begin in verse one. It says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another person you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice wickedness. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things and then do them yourself will escape the judgment of God? Here's the short of it. God is rebuking some people uh, through Paul because what they're doing is they're saying that person's wicked, that person's wicked, that person's wicked, and the person who is pointing the finger is guilty of the same thing. And so Paul asked the question, he goes, do you really think that all the people you're condemning will fall under God's wrath and God's judgment, but you won't? And then he says this, look at verse 4. He says, or do you presume upon the riches and the kindness and the patience of God, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, not knowing that God's patience, the Bible says in, uh, give me a second, I think it's 2 Peter 3, it says that God is not slow as some count about in bringing about his salvation as some count slowness, but he is patient, wishing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so people ask, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why hasn't God brought about the end of the world yet? Maybe it's for your sake. Maybe the reason that God hasn't ushered in his judgment yet, maybe the reason God hasn't ushered in his wrath yet is for your sake because he is patient towards you. He is patient towards you, wanting you to repent, wanting you to put your faith in Jesus so that you also can see the kindness of God and be spared his judgment. So these people here are not uh, doing that. These people here uh, have hard hearts, and they're saying, look, God is patient. He's slow to bring about salvation, and I don't care. I'm going to keep doing what I want to. So listen, here, here's the consequence. But because of your hard, this is verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So here, here's the thing. That those who have violated the character of God, those who have violated the person of God by not putting faith in Jesus, his son, are storing up wrath for themselves for the day of wrath, but, but... God is kind and he is patient and there is a way of escape. There is a way out of this and it is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so you and I who have put faith in Jesus Christ, we need not fear God's judgment. We need not fear God's condemnation, right? So uh, 1 John chapter 4 says that perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment or where fear is, there's this, I, oh, man, I'm butchering it. Let me turn there really quickly. Sorry. It was just one of those things that I felt like I needed to share with you, and then I don't have it in my notes, and so I don't have it planned, and you'll get over it, right? You're kind, and you're patient, too. So listen here. Oh, I already had it bookmarked, probably because of that very thing. So listen to this. 
This is verse 18, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever has fear has not been perfected in God. Christian, hear me say this to you today. You have zero reason to fear God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have zero reason to fear God because there is no condemnation and there is no judgment and there is no wrath in store for you because God's perfect love has cast out fear, because the the, the threat of punishment has been removed, because we in God's eyes are righteous, we in God's eyes are holy, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and our subsequent faith in him. And so the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, weakened as it was through the flesh of men, God did in sending his son Jesus Christ. So we who are in Christ not only need not fear a coming wrath or a day of judgment, we don't even need to fear uh, punishment. I, I, I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church until I was eight or nine maybe, and, and I grew up with this mindset that basically any misstep that I did, which in the church that I grew up in included uh, women wearing anything other than a skirt to church or men wearing blue jeans and not wearing a tie or touching playing cards or going to the movies or whatever, any misstep, this is what I grew up in, any misstep was a violation of God and God was going to be mad at you. That's what I grew up in. That's the system I grew up in. And yet that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we who have put our faith in Jesus are not only saved from the coming wrath of God, but we are saved from the fear of punishment now. We are saved from condemnation now. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God has been removed. We won't even face it, but we're also acceptable in his sight. I think that sometimes, and maybe I need to be more deliberate in saying this, I think that sometimes when people hear me say, and I'm just quoting Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think sometimes people think, sure, I might not be condemned, but I'm also not accepted. I need you to understand that the reason we are not condemned is because we are accepted. Hear me say that, please. It's not just, well, you're okay. It's not just, well, fine, I won't be mad at you this time. It is the reason that there is no fear of punishment, the reason that there is no condemnation, the reason that we don't have the wrath of God hanging over our heads for the day of judgment is because we are accepted in his sight. And why? Why? Why are we accepted? Because I I can look on my track record and know that I don't deserve it. We are accepted because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and my faith in him. The removed wrath, the removed punishment, the removed fear, the removed condemnation, and the acceptance of God are found in the cross of Christ. Golly, if we could, if we could believe that, if we could have that, like not just kind of sitting in some uh, closet of our heart, but but like if that could be our very lifeblood, our very heartbeat, can you imagine the joy and the lives that we would live and the passion with which we would live them, knowing that each day that I face, I am accepted before God, I am free of his wrath, I am free of his condemnation, I am free of his punishment, and here I am accepted by the God of the universe, the living God who sits most high on his throne. Man, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful truth. The people uh, back to the Thessalonican church, Thessalonican church? Sure. Okay. Uh, The people in Thessalonica, um, the Thessalonian church, let's say it that way, uh, they, they were beginning to think that maybe they had missed the resurrection. They were beginning to think that maybe they had missed out on the return of Christ. 
And Paul is handling that in chapter 4. But here's something that I, I want you to just hear. This is Paul's encouragement to them. And this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10. And he says, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not, has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. God said to Noah, here's the coming judgment. It's in, it's, it's in a flood. That's what the coming judgment's going to be. Here's the means for salvation. It's the ark. Enter into it and be saved from the coming judgment. God said to Moses and subsequently the people of Israel who were in slavery in Egypt, here's the coming judgment, the death of the firstborn, and here's the salvation, the lamb that was slain. God said through Joshua to Rahab, here's the coming judgment, the army's going to destroy the city, here's the salvation, a scarlet rope in your window. God has said to the rest of mankind, here's the coming judgment, the day of wrath, the day of God's judgment, set somewhere on the calendar of heaven, somewhere in our future, and God says, and here's the means by which you are saved, the cross of Jesus Christ in the empty tomb. Our, our salvation is very much a present thing and a future thing. We are accepted. We are free from fear. We are free from condemnation. We will be free from the wrath. Wake up tomorrow with boldness, knowing that you are pleasing in the eyes of God. Knowing that because of your faith in Jesus, he doesn't look at you kind of with condescension in his face. He doesn't shake his head at you or wish that you, he loves you. You are accepted. The wrath of God, gone. The condemnation, gone. Fear of punishment, fear of judgment, gone. And the patience and the kindness and the love of God lavished on us through Jesus Christ. Here's our prayer for the day. It's this, it's God, we praise you for your love which rescues us and makes us holy. God, we praise you for your love which rescues us and makes us holy. See, Jesus removes God's wrath. That's the theology. The application is we are free from condemnation and wrath and judgment and fear of punishment by faith in Jesus. And our prayer is, God, we praise you for your love, which rescues us and makes us holy. God, we praise you that you have provided a way of escape. God, we praise you that there is an escape from your judgment. There is an escape from your condemnation. There is an escape from punishment through Jesus Christ. And, and I just, I wonder sometimes, like, this message could sound very evangelistic, and it, and it is. Come to faith in Jesus, but Christian, don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of the joy and the hope that we have, the resolve we have, that we've been saved. So would you just take a moment right where you are, maybe you're a believer uh, with your family who are believers, and maybe you have just felt before God shamed and embarrassed and condemned, and would you just this morning just praise God that condemnation and wrath and judgment have been removed through Jesus Christ? And if you're out there today and you have never put your faith in Jesus, then I would quote the scripture and I would say to you, then today is the day of your salvation. Then let today be the day you hear God's voice and say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. And if you need to know more what that means, reach out to us through this page and we'll, we'll help you with that. But take a moment right where you are to thank God that the wrath of God, the judgment of God has been removed through Jesus Christ.
God, we recognize that there is a day appointed for your judgment, a final day, like Revelation talks about, where every person will stand before your throne. We recognize that that day is coming. We don't know when it is, but we know that you have it on the calendar of heaven. We know that it's been appointed. But we also know, God, that you and your love and your grace and your mercy have appointed a way of salvation, just like you have every other time in every other instance. Except for this salvation, God, is for forever. This salvation is through your son, Jesus. This salvation comes through the cross and the empty tomb. And we, we praise you, God, that we have been called guiltless, that we have been called holy. We praise you that we have been called your children. We praise you, God, that the wrath of God has been removed. We praise you, Lord God, that we have no fear of punishment. We have no fear of judgment, that we are free from condemnation, and that we are accepted in your sight through what Jesus has accomplished in our faith in him. We stand before you, God, today as your people, declaring you to be holy, declaring you to be good, declaring you to be kind, and we praise you, God. We praise you that through Jesus, the wrath has been removed and that we have been called accepted. And God, we worship your name, and we pray, Lord, that for those who do not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. For those who are still under your wrath, that they would come to the place where they we're no longer appointed for wrath, but for salvation. And that today would be the day that they put their faith in Jesus. Lord, may we honor you with our lives. May we honor you with our worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen.